Hi, everyone. Welcome to Trader Chats, unique perspectives from seasoned traders. I'm your host, Imran Laka, founder of Options Insight and 20-year professional options trader. As you might know, I became a trading mentor about three years ago, but I thought these conversations would be a great way for my students to gain valuable perspectives from some of the professional traders that I know and respect. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, welcome everyone to Trader Chats. Uh, today, I've got uh, Anders Armelius here, and the name of today's episode is From Banking to DeFi. Uh, and, you know, me and Anders overlapped um, back in the day when I was at Bank of America. And, uh, and now he's found his way into the crazy world of crypto. So I thought I'd bring him on uh, so he can share his insights and we can get an idea of what, what the, all this DeFi stuff is, because I'm still learning it myself. And I thought, why not bring him on and, and have this chat? So Anders, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background uh, and what you're up to these days? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm also not like I'm quite new to this DeFi thing, but I've gotten really, really into the, the weeds of it. So uh, basically, my background uh, is uh, I spent 10 years in the financial industry in London doing various things. I was both on the buy side and the sell side. Uh, so my kind of like uh, take on the markets and whatever comes more from a buy side type of thing, like a portfolio manager's type view into things. It's the way I do things now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I left the banking, I think it was in 2015. Since then, I've just been kind of doing my own thing. Uh, I've, I've basically some kind of, yeah, like I said, a portfolio management type view on managing a portfolio. Mm-hmm. So, so you were mainly you were mainly in stocks before, I guess, right? Mainly in stocks and like bonds and kind of like a diversified approach to just okay. keeping keep staying afloat. And then I had some derivatives kind of overlay, I would call it, on top of that. Okay. Like uh, some short vol stuff, put spread colors, some call overwritings, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. on top of the, of the bulk being like a traditional. So when did you when did you venture into crypto then? Yeah, so crypto. I started out thinking crypto was kind of like uh, you know interested in it, but uh, basically just a bit of a Ponzi scheme type thing. So I kind of discarded it for a long, long time. And then I think a combination of people just talking about it, hearing about Ethereum and smart contracts, and then uh, actually one of your videos about uh, Deribit trading options on cryptocurrencies. Mm. All of that kind of got me like dipping my toe in the water. So, and I think uh, I was I was buying a new computer at some point earlier this year. And I decided to get one where you could also mine Ethereum. And then, mm-hmm. uh, then that kind of looking into YouTube videos and stuff about how to optimize that kind of, I think I stumbled upon something to do with DeFi. You know, someone said something about getting paid to borrow or something like that. And I was like, all right, I got to see what this is. This sounds too good to be true. So mm-hmm. then kind of from there, I just went deeper and deeper into the DeFi thing, you know. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I got into. Yeah, so I've been, that's what I mainly do now. I do still do the option stuff on Deribit. But most of my crypto stuff is DeFi now. So for those who don't know what Deribit is, so that's basically the crypto options exchange, something that I'm very versed with. I've been trading for about a year and a half now. Um, and, and it's basically two, 
the two big or large cap cryptos, as I like to call them, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And basically it's an options exchange, um, kind of probably more built for retail, but you know, you've got, you've got real money on there now as well, like massive, massive volumes going through. And it allows people like us who've got a bit of an understanding in options and using derivatives to do it in crypto. And it, and it just makes, it makes investing in crypto for me, it makes it far more comfortable and far less risky than a lot of people yeah. think crypto really is, right? So exactly. That was exactly my thought in the beginning as well. I was like, okay, I want to do this because the vaults are super high. The futures look different from the way they do in like equities. All mm -hmm. of that stuff just made me interested in it. And I was like, okay, I need to have some Ethereum on here and able to be able to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's like, okay, I'm getting a bit comfortable with this now. What is it actually? How do I send money over there? That's one thing, right? What am I doing now when I'm sending ETH to this contract, which is Deribit? And how come the trades I'm doing on Deribit don't get registered on the blockchain? Whereas if I go and swap something on Uniswap, it does, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I started looking into what actually happens when you when you do something on on uh, Uniswap liquidity pools, getting paid. <clears throat> all, right, all, right, all right, slow down, slow down, slow down. You're going, you're going over everyone's heads, right? So let's okay. So the next okay, so fine. So you've been doing this what about a year, let's say something no, like that, say, but maybe like uh, eight or nine months, something like that. Yeah. So pretty new, pretty new, right? So okay, good. So so then tell us in a nutshell, what the hell is DeFi? What is it? Right. Yeah. So DeFi, what is it? To me, it's a, basically a copy, if you will, of the traditional banking system on the blockchain. So you got like uh, banks, insurance, uh, market making, uh, uh, central banking, all, all things like structured products, derivatives, everything you can find in the, the traditional banking system, but kind of replicated in code on the blockchain. Okay. If you go to something like a Uniswap, which is a pretty much a market place for swapping between different uh, cryptocurrencies, mm. what you're actually doing is you're clicking a button. That's what the user is doing, right? But that's just a user interface to code. So the button is you calling a function in a piece of code that's just living on some block on the blockchain. Okay. And, and okay. the idea being that whereas just holding your money in... Bitcoin and Ethereum is, is limited. It's like, it's like, let's call it cash in a bank, basically, right? Yeah. It's an alternative place to store your wealth, let's say. DeFi is all about the applications of money, right? So it's about what do what services do banks offer? They offer lending. Yeah. They yeah. offer, you know, borrowing and lending, they offer insurance. Um, yeah, you know. Bank. You know, uh, uh, you know, people can earn interest on their on their money that they're not planning to touch for ages and things like that. That's exactly. what this is trying to do, basically, right? That's what it's trying to do. And because it's on the blockchain, which is effectively just means that when I say it's a bank, obviously that's just someone writing a piece of code which mimics what a bank does, say lending and borrowing. There's no person there doing mm -hmm. something. It's just so you interacting with a piece of code, but which means that you can do quite funky stuff that you can't do in the traditional banking. I mean, for instance, you can say it's an insurance protocol. Mm. You can be the one buying insurance, but you can also be the one selling insurance if you want to. It's just a matter of how that's you interact. It, that's interesting. So, so as, a, as, a, as a normal guy, I can't sell insurance to anyone generally, right? That's, that's pretty yeah. hard for me to do, right? So this kind of opens up that whole world of both sides of the trade, basically, right? So you can, you can almost act like a banker 
to other people at the right price, basically. Exactly. That's exactly right. And also like market making, like I said before, why is it that um, Deribit, none of the trades you do there actually get registered on the blockchain? That's because that would be a lot of transactions, right? If you imagine being a market maker for like stocks, you'd mm. have to move your bid offer around as the market moves. And if each time you did that, you had to do a transaction on Ethereum costing 40 bucks. Wow, yeah, it's not feasible. So, so, so how does that work? So then the Deribit trades are all basically stored within Deribit's, Deribit's centralized platform, basically, right? Yeah, like Binance or any, any centralized exchange, they yeah, have a bunch yeah, yeah. of tokens that you can trade between. None of that gets registered on the blockchain. Whereas so then, if you go into the DeFi space, all of it gets registered on the blockchain. Interesting. So then you're very much, when you're trading on something like Deribit, you are exposed to Deribit, basically, right? Yeah. If, if Deribit, something happens to Deribit, it gets hacked or whatever, yeah. you've, got, you've got a problem, right? Your, your coins are not your coins because they're not registered on the blockchain to you, basically, right? That's right? exactly right. Right, okay, fine. And that is the risk that people take, right? There's this whole cold wallet and hot wallet idea, right? Where any coins you hold on any exchange the hardcore Bitcoiners say, not your keys, not your coin, right? And they're talking about these, these keys that, you know, basically this identifier that basically identifies what you own on the blockchain. Yeah. And whereas having, you know, having it on an exchange gives you convenience, right? That you can get in and out of stuff very quickly and easily. Yeah. If you really want to secure your crypto, you kind of have to take it off exchange onto what they call hardware wallets, cold storage wallets or whatever, and you, yeah. you detach it away from the internet, it can't be hacked. You can move it around, you can jump on a plane and go to another country and you've got your crypto with you basically, right? Yeah, so that's kind that's of- right. And I would also add to that, that you can also do like one step in between there. You don't have to take it onto a hardware, hardware wallet. You can just, like that's a wallet like MetaMask, for instance, it's just an extension on your browser where you basically have your private key and your uh, public key, and it's not sitting on their bits and it's not sitting on your like a USB stick or something. Okay. Still not, it's still just on the blockchain. It's not connected to Binance or any exchange like but that. It, and that's what you use for DeFi stuff. But the keys are on your hard drive, basically, I guess. You can, the keys normally come in the form of a bunch of words that you write down. So they've, tried, they've made some kind of thing where instead of the key being just a bunch of letters and numbers, they yeah. converted it into something called a mnemonic key, which is basically a bunch of words, normally 12 or 24 words that you write down, which is yeah. a representation of a bunch of basically numbers and letters, which is your private key. I so you, you write that down on a piece of paper or whatever, you stick mm -hmm. it in a bank vault. And that's, so if anyone gets those words, they have access to all your crypto. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I that's a rabbit hole that me personally, I haven't gone down yet, right? So I... I, I kind of jumped into crypto about a year and a half ago and it was a relatively small amount of money that I did it with. Yeah. Like touch wood, it's, it's grown a bit, but it's like, for me, right. I haven't felt the need to go Uber, Uber down that security route to secure no. it. So I'm quite comfortable still it being on an exchange like it is with Deribit because I think I don't think Deribit's about to go under, right? I don't think. Yeah, I feel uh, and also with Deribit, you, it's worth it because you get uh, to to trade options in a very convenient way. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of need to have an amount of equity there to play around in the option space anyway. So I yeah. kind of have to have, have to have something parked there. I mean, I do have other exposures via stocks within 
mining stocks in crypto and, and things like that, which again, give me access or exposure, which, yeah. and I don't have to be the custodian of that Bitcoin. So that's kind of how, and I find that to be tax efficient as well. But anyway, we're going a little bit off topic. So let's now, so, I, so my question to you then is, so you've got all this stuff popping up in DeFi that's kind of trying to offer services that regular banking system offers. So is this, in your view, is this really going to disrupt the banking system to to the extent that some people are calling for, right? You've got people like Jim Bianco saying this is a game changer and banks are screwed, right? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Um, I mean, I, I agree that it's a game changer for sure. I don't think banks are going to be screwed because I think if, if, it, if it gets through like all this regulatory scrutiny that it's under now, uh, I think even if it, even, I mean, if it gets through, I think it will get through. It will get regulated and stuff. But when it's through, let's say that instead, I think banks will adapt to that and start using this technology because it's mm, okay. so much more efficient. And you can have, I can imagine a situation where like my, my you know, parents or people who don't care about crypto don't notice that when they're dealing with their bank, they're actually dealing with something on the blockchain. Oh, that's interesting. Because the banks almost become the middleman. And yeah, they become like, the middleman because that's the other thing. It's supposed to be decentralized this uh, this um, DeFi, like decentralized finance. Yeah. But there's always, and it, it is in a way, but there's always some developer behind things, right? They have to update yeah. contracts every now and then if they change something or that type mm -hmm. of thing. So there are always these people kind of managing it anyway. So it's mm -hmm. arguable how decentralized it actually is. Some things are really, really decentralized and that's the point of it. Like yeah. some blockchains, like the Terra blockchain, for instance, which is a, a, a blockchain here completely separate from Ethereum. It, but it does smart contracts. That blockchain, the, the, the people who are behind that are currently very, it's very centralized because there is this Terraform Labs, maybe it might even be a company, I don't know, which is basically guiding the whole thing. But they've said that the, in the future, our goal is to just let this go and it should be literally just on its own out there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that varies between blockchains. Solana, for instance, is not like that at all. It seems to me at least it's pretty much managed by the, FTX uh, the guy, you know, the exchange in the US. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's had an amazing run recently, Solana. Yeah. And then people are like wondering, is this going to be an Ethereum killer? But yeah. then you had this massive outage recently, which then made people think, oh, maybe not. It can't even handle a little bit of volume, basically, right? So um, yeah. this is the problem a lot of these smart contracts, um, contracts are having, basically. These, these cryptos that are all about smart contracts is that the minute they become actually popular because people think they've got a future... The, they just get clogged up, right? And uh, well, it's like Ethereum, you can't you you have to pay like uh, seven hundred bucks for a transaction if it's really clogged up or something. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But I think Ethereum, obviously, because it's been around longer, it's got the most adoption, um, and they're working on this massive like two point upgrade, whatever, later early next year. Yeah, I guess so they, they know what they need to address, right? They know. Yeah, what yeah they no, definitely. I'm very bullish Ethereum in the long term. But at the yeah. moment, I'm not really using Ethereum at all for this DeFi stuff. I'm on all these other, like like Solana, like Avalanche, like Terra, like Harmony One. There's loads of them, right? Phantom. Well, I, that, I just go where the rates are, pretty much. <laughs> that, well, that leads me that leads me on to my next question to you, which is with so many projects and so many tokens out there in this space, how the hell do you decide what to invest in? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's it's a little bit uh, that that probably is a bit of a stumbling block or like a barrier to of entry to people, I think, because at at 
this stage, I'm in loads of Telegram groups. I follow loads of people on Twitter. I watch lots of YouTube channels and that type of thing to see where the next big thing is going to be. And when I say the next big thing, <clears throat> that is like when I, I started doing this on Polygon, which is a sidechain to Ethereum, <clears throat> because the fees there are pretty much non-existent. You pay in their, their token, which is the Matic token, rather than Ethereum, and you pay like something I don't even care when I click transmit on the button, right? Because it's so little money. It's like a fraction of a cent or something. So okay. uh, but the reason I started there was because uh, two platforms, which were basically a bank platform called Aave and a stablecoin swap platform called Curve, they were offering like a reward for people to use their platforms on the Matic uh, Polygon uh, blockchain. So there's incentives to use them, basically. Yeah, so they put in, like, I think it was $30 million spread out over a year where, where there was a, a concentration of that in the first month or something like that. So that, that's when you got these ridiculous yields for putting money into, basically, which is pretty much just depositing into a bank. You got paid, like, I can't remember, I think it was like 25% or something on dollars, on a stable coin. But, like, yeah. how long is that money then locked up for when you put that money in there? Oh yeah, you could take it out tomorrow if you wanted to. It's just basically, again, it's interaction with a, a function on a smart contract. So you're just saying, call this function, which is move money from my wallet, my MetaMask, to this contract. Now it's sitting there. And mm. then if if that function that you're using doesn't have any kind of lock or build up thing, there are places that do that, but okay. not most of them don't. And mostly the lockups are for staking to verify a blockchain, like when Ethereum moves a group of uh, stake. Yeah, there you're going to have them locked up probably for like, I don't know, 21 days or something. Mm. But this, you just basically put it, deposit your money, you see what rate you're going to get on the screen, right? And then the the reason it's so high is because you, you deposit, say you deposit your Ethereum there, you probably get like zero point something percent on in Ethereum. But because they have this thing on the, like a reward program on the Polygon, mm. the bulk of that 20%, all the rest of it pretty much, was paid in the Matic token. Okay. So if you wanted to get the 20%, you'd have to transfer, swap that Matic every day or as often as possible back to dollars or to Ethereum or something. Okay, I see, I see. But that's basically, it sounds like they've just got this big, it sounds like they've just got this big budget of money to give away to encourage funds into their, into their ecosystem. And then the plan is they're hoping certain amount of those funds will be sticky and just stay within their ecosystem, right? And allow, allow them to grow and allow them to build. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, definitely. And now, because they're doing exactly the same thing now, literally the same thing, the Curve and Aave on Avalanche, like today or tomorrow or something. I've been, I'm, I'm just waiting for it to start to move my money over there because it's probably going to be the same thing. And the weird <laughs> thing about that as well is you get, like you deposit something, right? And you get paid these ridiculous amounts of money. And then you also get paid to borrow money against that as collateral. So to so talk a bit more about that, like how does that work? How is someone paying you to borrow so, money so from it, Let's assume you're just doing this with stable coins, dollars, to make it easy. You, mm-hmm. you put in $100 there in, say, USDC or USDT or some stable coin. Mm-hmm. So then you get paid, right, uh, some percentage in dollars and some percentage in probably an Avalanche tokens now that it's going to launch an Avalanche. Mm-hmm. And then you have 100 there, which is basically you can... <coughs> to borrow against it and you could but then borrow usdc as well so you with some loan to value ratio that the con that the smart contract keeps track of so that if it if that loan to value goes above i don't know 75 80 percent it'll sell whatever your collateral is to pay off what you've borrowed right 
but that's mm-hmm. how the credit risk is kind of managed in the in the protocol. But so let's say you borrow fifty bucks, then against <laughs> hundred, then be, then you'd have to pay something. Say you pay two percent to borrow, but because they're doing this chunking in like, and this I think is even more, one hundred thirty million or something they're putting into Avalanche. They will give you Avalanche tokens to borrow, so you'll get paid on that fifty, say like twenty five percent on that because you're borrowing. So you're using the protocol on the borrow side as well to incentivize people to borrow. And you can just stick that back in and do like a loop until you <laughs> get to zero, or you can take that money, put it in somewhere else, Curve, which is also doing something, providing liquidity between two stable Okay, so to, to, to me, what this sounds like is you've got a bunch of new ecosystems popping up with various incentives that they're sporadically giving you for a period of, I mean, how long do these incentives normally last? They last for months, days, or years? Now, months, usually. Some months. of them are years. Uh, All right. So, so then, but I guess that what for you being like a bit more of an active trader, the it's a bit of an arbitrage. Basically, what you're basically saying is they're paying the wrong price for my funds to sit with them. I'm yep. going to harvest that extra money that they're giving me just for that incentive, and then once that's done, I'm going to move my money to somewhere else because someone else is it's probably going to give me an incentive in three yep. months' time, and you're yep. just moving your money around to all the places where you get your incentives. Yeah. But yeah. that's not a long-term game. In that. No, no. When this develops, when this is more developed and everyone's kind of knows where they're at and they've built their projects and they've built their apps and all this stuff, those incentives all go away. So it's almost like a, it's a one to two year trade probably still where there'll be continuous incentives popping up all over the place. And that's what you're harvesting basically. Yeah. Like. That's, that's the bulk of what you can do now, which is why I'm so into that now. I, I still think that DeFi as an ecosystem, as a whole like concept is still going to be good. Let's okay. say things like providing being a market maker in these liquidity pools. That so talk, me, talk to me about a liquidity pool. What, what what does that mean? So that that is basically the way they're getting around this market making thing that I was talking about. So how do you then do it then? If you want to trade something, there needs to be some market maker, right? Otherwise, how are you going to switch between Ethereum and Bitcoin or Ethereum and dollar? Mm. So that what they do then is they have these liquidity pools. So you provide two assets, like asset A, asset B, in an equal amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And then in, you get, instead of your tokens, then token A, token B, you get a liquidity pool token, which represents ownership in a pool of asset A and asset B. Let's say it's Ethereum and dollar. Okay. So now you put in Ethereum and dollars into this pool. The pool mm-hmm. is going to buy and sell Ethereum for dollars as the market moves up and down. Yeah. So it's, as Ethereum goes down, the pool will buy more and more Ethereum yeah. for people interacting with the pool. If it goes up the other way around. Yeah, so you, you could end up in a scenario where you're sitting on all of your money in the token that's gone to zero. Yeah, but that that's that's the way they've gotten around this market making thing on the blockchain. So okay, so let me try and translate that into how I've understood it. So what you're basically saying is, I want to create an automatic market maker, right? Yeah. So I yeah. need some capital that can basically act like that market maker, and I'm gonna attract capital by offering these liquidity pool tokens that offer some kind of yield, let's say, right? Most of that, I mean, you, you could obviously, uh, even without these rewards, you, you get paid a fee, right? For people using the pool. So let's say- You get a fee. Okay, yeah, but, but basically that fee is basically you becoming the market maker because you're yeah, putting your yeah, capital, exactly. you're putting your capital at risk. It's like saying, let's say there's a market making firm that is on the exchange making markets all day long, but they've got no capital to start their business. So mm-hmm. you invest into their business. 
Yeah. And you get a return on the market making profits that they generate, basically. Exactly right. Yeah. But exactly. it's all automated without any people, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's just the contracts that that's, the that's quite interesting. That's quite yeah. interesting. And so, also, do you set the fee there? And then, you know, with some of these coins, especially these uh, shit coins, like the meme coins, whatever, you can set your slippage, which is effectively how much am I willing to accept the market to move by before I get uh, a, tr a trade settled? They can be like 20% or something that they move or something. It's ridiculous, some of these things. But you can also, there's you can also. Set, sorry, you can set parameters for the bid offer that you're going to charge. Is that what you mean? No, no, no. For, uh, for the user can say, okay, because what if the market moves around while I'm trying to get this block verified? There's a slippage uh, amount that you're saying, okay, I accept this price that's quoted here now, mm. as long as it doesn't move by more than 50 basis points or whatever. In, in that case, don't do the trade. Yeah, okay, right. So that's that's how a user interacts with the liquidity pool to do their yeah. trade, basically, right? Yeah. And then also there's a fee. So, so I mean, if you, if you just look at it as what, how, so how do these uh, LP tokens grow in value? They obviously change in value with, if Ethereum goes up, even if you're in the pool and you're selling your Ethereum as the price goes uh, up, mm. you still have more than you had when you started, right? Because the price is higher. Yeah. You yeah. just have a little bit less Ethereum. You're just locking some of those gains in by moving them into yeah. dollars or something. Yeah, so that's the way you could use this as a strategy as well. If you think the market's going to be range-bound, you might as well chuck your stuff in that and get paid the fees. So the swap fees as well, the user, right? They set the slippage and there's also a fee. Say the fee is 30 basis points or something for each time you do a swap. That fee goes into the pool, so which is rewarded to the LP token holders. And then on top of that, most places, most uh, like AMMs, which is the automated market making protocols, like PancakeSwap on uh, the Binance. I, mean, I have market. to say, these names make me laugh. Like, <laughs> who came up no, with the yeah. name PancakeSwap? Seriously, yeah, did, they, did, did they want to be taken seriously? Like, I mean, no, I don't think so. That's the thing. <clears throat> yeah. I agree that those names uh, need to. <laughs> I mean, PancakeSwap was just, I think, the first such thing on Binance Smart Chain. And that's why it's big now. But yeah, Uniswap but is not like that, right? Uniswap is more serious looking. Terra, that whole blockchain is yeah. built for adults, if you will. So things yeah. look a lot cleaner. But anyway, so you do that on PancakeSwap. And it's a good example because I want to use their token as an example of, 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 of a risk or whatever you want to call it. You get also get a reward. You get the swap fees, but you also get rewarded in the PancakeSwap token, which is the cake token. But then, and then some people keep that cake token. I don't know why. In my view, that cake token has no value in itself. I mean, if I'm on PancakeSwap because they're doing something and you're getting high rewards, I'll take the cake token, but every day I'll switch it into dollar because I don't want the cake token, right? It's, it's, it has no use case, really, for at least as far as I can see. You have no, it has no reason to appreciate in value either, I guess, right? No, just because people buy the cake token. I mean, it's on Binance. Some people probably buy it without really knowing what it is. They just ape into something going up or I don't know. But to me, that's, you know, you need to be, sometimes it's good to keep that reward token. If, mm. you, if, if you're getting paid in Ethereum, say, or if you're getting paid in like the Matic token I was keeping for a long time this summer because everything was just, you know, down. The blockchain was really good. It's fast. It's usable. I was thinking, okay, I might as well keep this, these rewards I'm getting in case the token goes up. Sounds like so, a bit of a full-time job, kind of screening the, the, let's call it asset class, if we can call it that yet, right? But it sounds like screening the asset class for all these different sort of incentives and what's going on. Sounds like a bit of a full-time job to me, to be honest. If, if you want to get the most out of it, it, it definitely can feel like a full-time job. But you can obviously do things that are less 
like uh, labor intensive. You can just find some place like like that Terra blockchain, for instance. They have some a protocol that I view sort of like a central bank. Other people have called it like a risk-free rate protocol, but it's called mm -hmm. Anchor. And the, the point of that uh, protocol is to provide a stable yield on stable coins, like something that doesn't move around a lot. And well, at the moment that Go I've got a question. So yeah. is there like a platform? Like, have you got like a favorite platform where you get to see all of this stuff in one place where you can filter, you know, what all the different tokens are doing, the yields that they're offering? You know, is there like a, let's call it a Bloomberg terminal type site for DeFi tokens? And if there isn't, why the hell hasn't someone built one? Yeah, that's true. I don't think so. I, I haven't seen one. I think one reason is because it's hard to tell you shouldn't just go where the highest rates are like you can find these even more ridiculous sounding things than pancake swap trust me <laughs> where sushi, you get sushi swap sushi swap is actually quite good i like that one but you know you have like some i don't know bunny cake swap or whatever getting paid <laughs> in some uh, banana token or whatever where you're getting like thousands of percent because you're getting their token which has no value it's going to probably die in three days. So who, you know, they can put these ridiculous APRs out, but, you know, and yeah. also you take a huge risk of getting like some malicious code or someone just having... Oh, okay. Again, you, you keep leading me on to my next question. So we've talked about the yields. We've talked about the incentives. We've talked about how you can make some pretty quick money if you know what you're doing, but what are the risks embedded in getting involved in DeFi and parking your cash in any of these things? Like, what would you say the major risks are to be aware of? Yeah. I mean, the, the, there are a few, I would say. One, one is you're taking on risk of the actual blockchain you're using. Like you said before, Ethereum is quite well established. Mm. So being on there is probably the safest bet. If you move away from there, you move away, you take more risk. I'm not sure how big that risk is and how, you know, I... I have no real good way of assessing how much risk you're taking on. But like you said, Solana was down for 17 hours, I think, last week or something. That's pretty scary when you have some money in there. Mm. Like that's a risk to be aware of. Hard to quantify, but that is a risk. You take on the risk of the actual protocol you're using. Like I said, this is all code. So if, if they've made a mistake, say, it might not be malicious. They just, uh, I don't know, something with code. I'm not uh, really a coder, so I don't know. Like maybe some pointer they're left to the wrong memory allocation or something that some hacker can come and take advantage of. And your money just goes, your money just goes whoosh, it's gone. Kind of yeah. Thing. Or someone could obviously just be be malicious and have written something in where they can just take all of it, right? So, so okay. those, that's probably the biggest risk, that code risk. You're also taking a bit of that token risk, but like I said, that you can just swap out to dollars anyway. So that's- I guess you've got, you've got market risk in terms of the value of tokens going up and down. And we know it's a very volatile asset class. You've, yeah. got, you've got criminal activity risk where people yeah. could try and purposely hack into something to steal your money. You've yeah. got error, you've got coding error risk where if a protocol is relatively new, yeah. It, you may not have seen that there's an issue yet and an issue pops up in a year and, and something, whatever triggers yeah, something. something and, happens, yeah. yeah. So you want to go for stuff that's been maybe there's, that's why, you know, going for stuff that's been around a longer time, like Ethereum and, and things yeah. like that, you know that it's been tried and tested, right? It's got some track yeah. record of not having errors of being coded correctly, that type of stuff. So yeah, when you've got an incentive to go into a brand new token that just popped up last month, know yeah. that, there's all sorts of stuff that can happen, right? So there's always yeah. a risk versus the reward and you should be being 
compensated for the risk that you're taking in the yield that you're getting, basically. Yeah, that's yeah? true. And well, uh, I mean, to, to me, so that's why I personally, I, I stay away from these uh, new things, like completely. I, I'm comfortable when some old protocol moves to a new blockchain, like this Curve Nave thing going from Polygon. And they've been around on Ethereum for ages as well. So they just, when they move a blockchain, I'm quite happy because I know that at least the code risk, because they've been audited, people have tried to hack them, all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm not quite comfortable with the code there. Right? And what's their reason for moving to a different blockchain? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure, actually. Is it because they don't believe in the old blockchain they were on? and Or is it just to be so that they their, their thing can work across a number of blockchains, right? So it's interoperability or whatever. Yeah, maybe it's maybe that's the, the reason. I'm not too sure. I mean, the, the, the way, as far as my understanding is, the way the decisions are made is because there's no one who like owns these protocols, right? So the way they're governed is by holding the tokens of the, the protocols. And if you do that, you get to vote on decisions on what to do with the protocol. It's basically oh, wow. sort of like a stock. So the more so tokens you, that you hold, the more the more vote you impact you have on the how it operates, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and, and how that actually works, who that's what I mean when I say it's not actually that decentralized, because there is obviously someone somewhere yeah. doing something. So well, at the start, when it was first created, someone probably gave themselves gazillion tokens. So they're the majority <laughs> holder of the tokens, right? So they're gonna make yeah. all the decisions. Right? Yeah, no, that tends to happen, definitely. And yeah. but, but this I haven't really gotten that into those parts of this whole thing because i'm just like i said i'm following those yields and it doesn't really matter to me if they vote to stop for some reason on the phantom blockchain i'll just move my money around right and i don't i'm not keeping those tokens anyway so yeah, and you're literally screening every day to see what's going on you're not just like leaving stuff for two weeks then you come back and things might have disappeared basically right no no no, no yeah I, I log in every day obviously if i go away on a holiday or whatever i, I i'm comfortable being away for two weeks yeah. but yeah the, to me, it's worth it to be there every day, if for nothing else, to convert all these tokens into dollars, right? I don't want the, I don't want the cake token. That's kind of kind of securing your yield by moving it into a stable coin, basically. Yeah, that's... yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, that's starting to make a bit more sense to me. Um, so you know, I've, I've said this before to people uh, from the finance industry, like because I I don't know so much about DeFi, but. To me, with all this yield farming and all of these crazy yields that you're being offered and stuff, what it feels like to me is the new age credit market, right? So for people who don't know what credit markets are, it's just the corporate bond market, right? So in traditional finance, companies want to raise capital to, to grow their businesses. They issue bonds. Those bonds go into circulation and those bonds pay various yields, basically, right? And the higher the yield you get on a corporate bond, the more risky that company is. And you have high yield credit, which is the more risky side of the spectrum, which offers higher yields. You have investment grade, like secure safe credit where the yields are much lower. And, and that's kind of, that credit market has been around forever and it, and it trades. Um, and it gives us a, you know, it gives us a barometer of what the risky companies are, right? And what, what the default risk is within certain companies. Now, to me, this whole DeFi token space is just the credit market for crypto, right? Like the yield that someone's going to pay you, the 100% yield, 200%, 1000% yield that someone's going to pay you is because their token is crazy risky and you may not have your money tomorrow, basically. Yeah, right? I agree with you. If I'm with you, for, for those 
that's probably the way it's going to be when all these rewards, you know, fizzle out. Because at the moment, you are getting paid quite a lot for something that would probably be an investment grade. Interesting. That's interesting. In, in, in Curve and Aave, right? Whereas if you go to like the some some weird uh, ape swap or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that in that case, I agree with you completely. Okay. Okay. That's but that's, because it's just so early. I, there's no way it's going to stay like this, right? You, yeah. You, you yeah. can't keep getting investment grade bonds where the yield is like 30%. That that's just not the case, right? Yeah, well, exactly. But I get when you say investment grade, though. Let's be clear. Invest crypto investment grade. Yeah, exactly. Like like some people think ETH's going back to zero, right? If ETH goes to zero, I'm pretty sure every single protocol's screwed, right? Yeah. So no, no, for sure. So there's for an inherent sure. there's an inherent like rubber stamp that you're saying crypto's here to stay. If yeah. conditional on that being true, then mm. these tokens are the investment grade tokens. Yeah then a bunch of random tokens are much higher, high yield, let's say. Yeah. And then you look at the relative yield differentials and you can trade. I, I just think that this space, you know, X credit traders from banking should be all over this. Like this should yeah. be what well, every, you know, because credit market's boring now, right? Well, the Fed has stepped in, is yeah. backstop the entire credit market. Their, their, their QE is basically buying credit to some extent, yeah. right? Like they buy treasuries, that money filters through into the bank's balance sheets or whatever it is, bank reserves, whatever. And then it empowers, you know, credit traders in banks to just go and buy every piece of kind of corporate credit they can buy because they know that the whole system is backstopped. So it's just yeah. taken the price discovery completely out of that market and made it really boring, right? So yeah. I'd say credit traders who've got that skill set of, knowing how to assess the riskiness of credits, they should be all over this space, right? Yeah, but one one hard thing, though, is, like you said, Ethereum could go to zero. Like, that default risk, what is it that actually, you know, what is the value of a token? That's always something that I struggle with with crypto. There's mm-hmm. like, if you take, you know, you could compare it to like a commodity, I guess, or something like gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but gold will always have some floor price, right? At some point, the people who are actually using gold to, to make stuff will mm. just come in and buy all the gold if it's cheap enough, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, there is, but but that is probably nowhere near 1700 or whatever with gold is now around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With crypto, it's all that extra bit, right? Yeah, it could go, uh, literally could go to zero. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to, to kind of put a value on what it is you're, you know, that, that to me is a tricky part of crypto because and which, which is why I tend to prefer being in stable coins and not have to worry about if the coins go up and down because I can be there every okay. day. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter that argument though, right? Because yeah. I'm going to say that, yes, we don't really know what the value is in, of crypto because there's no fundamentals, right? It, it, yeah. The value is what people are willing to pay for it. Yeah. And there seems to be a, a, a demand that is growing from the global population to store some of your wealth in something that's decentralized. That's pretty much what gives crypto value, basically. Yeah. In a nutshell, in a nutshell. Okay. Problem is, you've got how many trillion dollars worth of AUM parked in government bonds that give you a negative yield. Yeah. Okay. So when yeah. when 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 you've got that kind of bubble in yeah. an asset class to the point where you are guaranteed to lose money if you hold a bond till maturity, right? Yeah. What the hell is the value of anything? 
Yeah, right? no, I agree with you. I agree. Right. I agree. Uh, so then, then, then when you when you think about that, then it's like actually it's not as scary that I don't know what the true value is because what the hell's the value of anything? Valuations no. valuations stop mattering the minute we went into a majority negative yield world, which is what we're in right now. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the way I that's the way I would kind of no no it. true the whole fiat system is kind of like a bit of a crypto valuation game like what what is the value of fiat right you yeah. can have the same argument there no I agree with you yeah. but yeah no to me it feels like uh, but and also I agree with your point there that they should, the credit traders should I think most people should get into a little bit of this DeFi stuff because especially yeah. now right when the rewards are so high to mm. me the rewards outweigh the risks. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, you know, because well, on that on that point, so we know there's risk. We know there's great reward. Is there a smart way to mitigate some of that risk, though? How would you go about? You know, you're taking risk. You can't you could you can't make returns without taking some risk. How how would you think about the best way to go about mitigating some of that risk? Are there smart things that you can do to have a portfolio, build a portfolio of DeFi tokens to harvest some yield? And then what would you do to mitigate some of that broader crypto risk that you may have, basically? I think the main thing you can do is stay pretty much in stable coins or like if it's big coins, Ethereum or Bitcoin or something. Use that, Take the example of this liquidity pool, right? If you imagine that liquidity pool being being between Bitcoin and Ethereum, then it's not very risky to be in that pool because I don't really care if I hold Bitcoin or Ethereum. Like one goes up, the other one's going to go up. So I might, if I have some Bitcoin and some Ethereum, I might as well chuck it in this pool and get pay, paid something for it, right? Mm. That's one thing you could do. And also just stay in the stable coins because to me, if you pick the right stable coins, there's always a, there's a risk in the stable coins themselves as well. Because, you know, Tether, for instance, is backed by like, I'm, I'm not sure what it's backed by. It was even talks about it being backed by Evergrande debt, you know, when that was, you know, so who knows what Tether is. Yeah. So I stay away from Tether. You know, uh, USDC is backed by pretty much dollars held in some bank account somewhere by Coinbase, I think. So that's, that's to me, a better stable coin to be in. And there what, are kind of yield, what kind of yield do you get on USDC? If you put it in a liquidity pool with some other stable coin, like, so that people can swap between USDC and UST, say the stablecoin from Terra or USDC and USDT. Mm. And you do it in the right place, mm. you can get anywhere. I mean, if, if you do it on, uh, say, SushiSwap or something that's pretty established, you probably get like 2%. If you do it somewhere where you get paid in one of these crazy tokens, you could get, like, there's one pool I'm in now, which I think is pretty risk-free. It's not risk-free, but not that risky. I'm still getting 50%. 50, five zero. Yeah, five zero. And that's in, that's, that's in stable coins. Yeah, but I'm not getting paid in stable coins, right? I'm getting paid in their token, which I convert every day to stable coins, put it back in the pool. Yeah, but that's still 50% if you keep doing that systematically, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's only going to last, that one I think is for three weeks now. You wow. can do that. And then it's going to... And, and, and what about using, I mean, the way I would kind of think about it, and this is my bias, right, because I'm an options trader, but I would say if I built up a portfolio of these, these kind of DeFi tokens that are a bit spicy and a bit high yield, then isn't the obvious way to hedge that, to just do some sort of protection in the options market in, in like Ethereum, basically, right? Like own a load of crash puts. If you want to keep the tokens, there's, a, there's obviously a difference between, you know, thinking... The, the DeFi tokens like Curve token and the Alve token and the, the SushiSwap token are going to go up in price. That's that's a lot riskier 
then farming the sushi token with stable coins and then deciding if you keep, let's say that pool that gives you 50%, mm. I could obviously keep the token. Let's say that was sushi swap mm. and I wanted some sushi tokens. I could decide to not convert that sushi token to dollars mm. and just keep the, the interest in sushi tokens because that's gonna, I think that's going to go up in value. I yeah. would still have my dollar, $100, but after a year, I'd also have $50 in sushi swap, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, is that correlated to the large cap cryptos, do you think? Those, like, if, if Ethereum goes up 50%, does sushi go up something? Yeah, yeah, I think so, definitely. That's the way it's been. And to me, again, it's hard with those tokens. I tend to keep some of them and some I don't. I like the tokens that are uh, native tokens, like the one, like Ethereum. Uh, is like the native token of, Ethereum, of Ether, I should say, of Ethereum. Mm. Same thing with like, let's say I'm, I'm on the Terra blockchain, the native token there is Luna. That Luna is actually used to verify the blockchain, like Ethereum will be when it moves to proof of stake. So, yeah, so it's I, got a use case. It's got a use case. It's not yeah. something, people aren't going to suddenly go, why am I holding this piece of, you yeah. know, I don't need yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I mean, and, and then, okay, so let, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon, but just one question to you then before we go. Are you a buyer of this triple halving narrative? Have you heard about the triple halving coming in Ethereum? Where, oh, yeah. yeah, where the supply is just going to get crushed basically. And, and, and that, that could well create a bit of a squeeze in the price of Ethereum going into, I don't know, going into end of year, maybe early next year, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be good, right? It's, <laughs> It's uh, every time Bitcoin's had a halving, it's gone up afterwards. Mm. Uh, so I think uh, it's not going to harm the token. It, on the other hand, everyone knows that's coming. Mm. So in my head, it's a little bit hard to see why it would even have it, it's happened with Bitcoin. Because, I mean, if you know it now, it should be in the price, right? So, yeah, I don't know about that logic, though, because in my sort of and don't get me wrong, I haven't been trading crypto since 2015 or anything. Right. But it does seem like these events that the whole world knows about six months in advance, when they actually happen, there is there is a price reaction. Like for example, the the EIP upgrade fifteen fifty nine. We all knew about it, and yeah. it, and, the, and the date on it just kept getting rolled and rolled. But once we secured, we knew the date. When it yeah. happened, that triggered a rally in ETH from two thousand to four thousand within a month. So it yeah. happened, right? And you're and, right about that. You're right about that. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to hard to say because you also have these other things that are like by the by the news sell by whatever the you sell the actual event. Yeah, um, I think that I think there are some people there are some players in the market like, but I think the market's not mature enough for that type of price action, right? So I think if you had every man and their dog in the space, always front running these trades and positioning for them and blah, 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 then yes, it'd be buy the rumor, sell the fact, just like it is in TradFi basically, right? But because you've got so many players who literally just take the news at face value, don't do the reading ahead of time, but react to the to the real-time news that, oh my God, this look at what's just happened to Ethereum supply. You've got all these YouTubers talking about it who are like kids who've been trading for like two months and stuff like that. There's mm. enough money that then comes in and chases that and yeah. then you've also got the idea that a lot of big institutional players in crypto mm. are waiting for these type of things to be confirmed to then express it. their allocate their capital because it's almost like if we don't get the upgrade 
basically getting the upgrade de-risks that token for me basically that's a very good point i've never thought about it that way that i definitely agree with that yeah. i think that, that's probably right i mean to, to me i'm holding ethereum i'm not going to sell it until that happens yeah no, probably not even after that i think it's going to go up in value right so yeah uh, so in that sense i i definitely think it's a buy I think you'll have a point there. That's probably true. You do see that with, like I said before, even when I said with this cake token, if it's if it if it's on Binance, some people will just buy it without even knowing what it is. Right? And if it's yeah. a, then they see some news about this cake thing, then you know they're going to buy it even more. So I think you're probably right about that. It's yeah. a good point. It's a good point. Cool, cool. All right, I think we need to wrap it up. We've been chatting for a while, so um, really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been enlightening yeah. for me. Hopefully it's been uh, informative to the listeners and yeah, take care of yourself and good luck with all this stuff. I, I hope it goes well. Yeah. Same to you. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, mate. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode to learn more about options insight and our trading community. Please visit us at www.options-insight.com or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Twitter at options underscore insight. Until next time, thanks.